Napa know-how. Any car brave enough to withstand a decade's worth of multi-state family voyages is worth treating to some quality parts and Napa know-how. Coolant for the Death Valley trip, wiper blades for the Pacific Northwest, air fresheners for the Southwest chili cook-off. Yeah, with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your road warrior running longer, stronger, for many more vacations to come. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. The big news this week, and you guys have been very hot on this over the last few days. You want me to include this in the uh, the podcast. We're going to talk about it. The NPL breakaway, or the supposed breakaway, the proposed breakaway. Uh, a lot of people are moving behind the scenes to get this all sorted. Uh, perhaps the the beginnings of a national second division. Dave, tell me what it's all about. Well, we should probably give our listeners a bit of background. Um, mm-hmm. What's actually happened is that it's it's... Kicking off in Victoria, where NPL clubs have met and jump in at any time if I get any of this wrong. About, about 20, 20, 20 yeah. 25 of them. And with a, I guess, future view of NPL clubs all around the country meeting, they've formed an association and their end game is to basically secure more votes at FFA level, board level, representing the various state and territory confe- uh, federations. And they also have the view of creating a second division, a national second division, which, of course, would include promotion and relegation to it from the lower state and territory leagues. Now, Tony, let me ask you, you are a man who has been, as mentioned previously before, with Bowen Vitry from Day Dot. You are a person who claims to be the founder and this leads down the expansion path and you were part, if I'm not mistaken, part of the expansion for Melbourne City slash Hart. What are you, what's your position? Can this work? Is it going to work? What's going to happen? Oh, look, this is an absolute Pandora's box. Let's make it very clear at the outset that this has nothing to do with football. This has nothing to do with junior development. This has nothing to do with elite pathways and has everything to do with a power play. This is 100% about power, the, the base of power in Australian football. The base of power in Australian football used to rest with the top-tier clubs in the NSL. We all know that that is now no longer the case, and there are certain former NSL clubs that cannot handle that fact and have tried everything. They've tried everything in their, in their grasp to try and wield power back. So this is just another one of many steps to try and redress that power imbalance as they see it. Dave? Because it, it's, it's really they're doing this outside of the scope of FFA responsibilities and powers. Could I say, could I be as bold as to suggest that it's not a breakaway but more like a coup? Uh, undoubtedly, uh, some of the, the language that's been used is a revolution. There's a revolt of NPL clubs. Let's make this very clear. There is already an association that represents all the NPL clubs. It's called the State Association, the State Federation. The FFV represents the interests of the NPL clubs. Now, they issued a statement today claiming that they represented 30,000 players, which sounds impressive on the surface, But by last count, our game represents a million players. So the NPL clubs represent 3% of the participation base of our sport. 
what about the community clubs? So who's championing for the community clubs to get a seat at the FFA table when they go through their government's reorganisation? So all this is is a power play to ensure that the former NSL clubs get a seat at the big table when FFA have to restructure their governance model. And basically we saw from David David Davidovich's article today that the proposed future board, as part of all these discussions, means that NPL level of control would end up controlling something like nine votes at the... or nine or ten votes at the FFA board level, which would amount to almost a majority. Yeah, which is absolutely disproportionate to the stakeholders that they represent. And this is the farce that is not being reported. To me, the spotlight needs to be shone on the Australian football media who have let this go without any scrutiny whatsoever. It's unfair on the million participants in Australia to let a minority of stakeholders dictate the agenda. And before anybody points the finger at me and says I'm an FFA apologist, my question is where is the FFA in setting this agenda? They've lost control of the agenda. And, I mean, look, the only reasonable explanation is the FFA are sitting back in their their tower in Sydney looking at this play out and say, let's give these NPL clubs enough rope to hang themselves. Yeah. Because there is no logical justification for them to claim the power that they're seeking. It's just an absolute farce. And, again, it's not about junior development. It's not about the good of the game. It's about trying to implement promotion and relegation so that they can get their seat at the big end of town once again. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I'm very torn on this whole issue because, you know, I, I actually think that there are a lot of issues with the way the FFA are governing football at the moment. So I actually, when I hear some of the views being espoused by this new association and everything like that, I... I, I I think there's some, you know, kernels of truth to what they're mm. saying. And I think that we definitely have dropped the ball at the FFA level when it comes to the game evolving and, of course, taking full advantage of these player participation rates that we talk about and ensuring better youth development, which is so important. So in terms of elite development and pathways and a model that's national and takes into account the A-League at the top of the tree and those pathways for junior players. It was these same agitators within the NPL clubs in Victoria that took the FFV to court and prohibited the implementation of that model that serviced football in Victoria. Now, say what you want about whether the model was the right model or the wrong model. I mean, it's not for me to say. But what is not in any doubt is that the NPL clubs who took court action to prevent the implementation of the model are the same ones sitting back saying that the model doesn't work. So where is Australia's football media to shine a light on this? Where is Australia's football journalist? Who's the journalist that's going to turn around and say, these clubs that have just formed their national association of clubs are the same ones that voted to implement court action to deny the FFE the right to implement the model that they thought was going to serve the game. So we've ended up with a watered-down model of junior development that's a complete farce, and no-one disagrees with that. Anybody on both sides of the debate will say that our junior development is not working, but you've got the NPL clubs that blame the FFE and the FFA, and you've got the other side of the argument that says it was the NPL clubs that voted against implementation of that plan. So, 
I think there needs to be a little bit of give and take on both sides. They both need to come around a table and say what's best for the game. But in so doing, the FFA needs to realise that these NPL clubs represent 3% of the participation base. And the rest of the game, the 97% of other participants should not be held to ransom by this minority. So here we are 12 years on from the A-League commencing and it just appears as though we're having these schisms appearing again that we once did in the past. I'm wondering whether or not, you know, and I'm purely playing devil's advocate here, but some people would argue that the A-League only represent a certain percentage of interests when it comes to the, the masses that play football or the masses that are involved in football out there. What do you have to say about that, Tony? I think that it's farcical to suggest that the masses that are appealed to by the A-League are a minority when the A-League is now in a financial position that it supports the FFA, which is the absolute converse situation that used to be the case with the NSL. So the Socceroos used to be at the top of the tree. That used to be the cash cow for the FFA. Now it's turned around to the extent that Anthony DiPietro stands up at Victory in Business and demands the FFA spends more revenue earned by the A-League be spent on the A-League. The A-League has absolutely turned 180 degrees that level of power in Australian football. So the, the former NSL clubs that are sitting there trying to get their piece of the pie are missing the point. Rudin and Bosnich on their telecast of the Champions League Big rant. said that this is the darkest day in Australian club football history. Well, mate, for anybody that ever went to the NSL and sat there in the middle of winter watching part-time players who couldn't make a career out of the game in front of less than a 1,000 supporters every week dare complain that Australian clubs with full-time professional players earning wages of an average $100,000 a year playing in, Asia. playing in Asia at the top of their game and admittedly the results don't go away. Maybe it's scheduling, maybe it's quality. Remember, we've got salary caps, we've got squad limitations. For those two to dare assert that this is the darkest period in Australian football history, it's a farce. Mm. It's an absolute farce and it's disgusting and Australian football, the serious Australian football journalists need to shine a light on this sort of garbage that's being sprouted by people with an agenda.